Humanity is growing and connecting. Tomorrow's world needs more energy from more places. But to find our net zero future, we must overcome the natural constraints of many new energy sources. This is the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast, where we look at the energy challenges of modern life and the innovators finding solutions. Join us for a low-carbon, high-energy conversation with your host, Joe Battier. This views of the host are his own and should not be viewed as those of any business, corporation, or government entity. Hello, and welcome to the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast brought to you by AWS Energy. I'm your host, Joe Battier. This is the show where we bring you low-carbon, high-energy stories from the people solving the energy challenges of modern life. I am here today with John Belazare, CEO of Saluna Computing. Saluna Computing is a leading developer of green data centers for batchable computing with the purpose of reducing green energy waste. As society grows, so does our appetite for technology, and that technology, you can really boil that down to raw materials and computing power taking place in data centers. So this is a very important discussion we're having today and really addressing that question of how do we, how do we examine the carbon footprint of data and how do we reduce that, really that data that is enabling us to be so well connected. So, John, thank you for joining me today on the podcast. If you would, please share with me and the audience your background, introduce us to Saluna Computing. And I know I asked you right before we got on the air how to pronounce your last name, and I think I still butchered it. So also, please correct me for that as well. (laughs) Joe, thanks for having me. Um, Pleasure to be here. I love the topics on this show, so I'm excited to share uh, what we're doing at Saluna Computing. You did a great job with the name. It's John Belazaire, like Bel Air, um, the Prince of Bel Air, because it's coming back. Uh, we're going to be talking about Saluna Computing in a minute, but uh, I'd love to tell you about myself. I started my career uh, as a computer scientist, actually. I started with uh, Intel back in the uh, late 90s, uh, really helping them to uh, advance the growth of the personal computer its role in the home. Um, So I worked on things like uh, multimedia applications. Um, I worked on things like uh, getting uh, video and media to travel over uh, the phone network before there was the internet. And uh, at the end of my career at Intel, I was helping them enter the networking business by uh, creating software that would uh, signal the network to understand that um, there was multimedia content <clears throat> traveling uh, across the network and it would preserve the bandwidth and protect it. So um, a lot of times when we're when when I'm on a Zoom call or something like that, uh, it's amazing to see how far we've come uh, from those mm-hmm. days when I was doing that. And for the next 20 years after my uh, stint at Intel, I was building enterprise software companies, uh, essentially solving problems that large enterprises have with their businesses and developing software solutions to do that. Uh, My most recent company was in the insurance industry. So I joined the industry not knowing anything about it uh, and spent the better part of a decade helping the industry do a better job of using data and analytics to make better underwriting decisions. And so we built an entire software platform. I like to call it the, the Bloomberg of, of insurance underwriting and uh, uh, built that into a leading player in the space and partnered up with a much larger company that uh, made our product and services become part of a whole portfolio. Um, after that, I took a break and uh, started to think about what I wanted to do next. And to some extent, that sort of led me down the path to what is today is Saluna. I had a mentor of mine who was helping me think through what to look at. I was being offered other CEO roles, new startup companies, uh, 
jumping into the venture space. And I could never really find something that was sort of big enough for me or interesting enough to where I would learn something new. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, one day he calls me and he says, well, why don't you come down? We have this project I'd like you to look at. And I said, what is it, what is it about? He ran a PE firm that uh, was focused on industrial companies. And I said, uh, he said, just come down. The only thing I can tell you is it's the intersection between renewable energy and blockchain or Bitcoin. And I said, hmm. okay, the, the blockchain Bitcoin's part I've heard of. Renewable energy, I know nothing about. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I go down there, to be honest with you, Joe, um, I plan to basically find a reason why I should say no. Because I'm, you know, I figured I'm a software guy. You know, I don't know anything about renewable energy. Yeah. And uh, so I go down there and I've, I'm presented with this fascinating view on the renewable energy space, the challenges we're getting projects up. They had a project in Africa and the northern part of the continent in, in, in Morocco. It was stranded, uh, you know, big site twice the size of Manhattan. And they were trying to figure out how to monetize wow. the energy while the grid made its, its way there. Uh, that led to me saying, I'll give it a try. And we renamed the project uh, to Saluna. Uh, for the next four years, we worked on that project. And through the process of working on that project, we learned so much about renewable energy development, the challenges with it, project finance, um, the growth of the industry, and experienced a pain and that pain is where you connect the power plant to the grid because the grid did make its way down there eventually. And you have to figure out what to do when you can't send all the power you produce to the grid. <laughs> and it just mm-hmm. so happened that since we had this whole concept of vertically integrating computing and renewable energy as the solution to our stranded energy problem, it actually became the basis for who we are today. We uh, use the computing really as a demand response solution. So instead of a battery or moving the energy, we have a flexible data center that's based at the renewable energy plant that absorbs the power, converts it to a different form, which is clean energy, and uh, distributes that energy all around the world. And so about two years ago, um, we broke the company into two companies, the Renewable Energy Development Company is now called Harmatan, and that continues to work on the Morocco project. And now we have this company, Saluna Computing, um, which is now a publicly traded company, focuses on helping power plant owners, big investment companies, developers, um, infrastructure funds that are building these assets all over the world, deal with the biggest challenge they have, and that is... um, when they can't send all the power they, they, they produce to the grid and they can't monetize it all, we show up and build these advanced facilities that converts that wasted energy into a new form. So that's Saluna Computing. Yeah. And that's uh, yeah. also the tour of my background, Joe. Yeah, thank you for that, for that introduction. And the I guess you were kind of around building out and helping helping facilitate the the early iterations of the internet and really of this kind of globalized communication that we that we have today. Indeed. So I think it is it's actually really fascinating to me. I I didn't put two and two together that it it really is it's almost like you're the perfect person to go in and solve a problem like that because you saw where everything was, what that what that potential is from the ground up building out communication. And then, Mm -hmm. then you kind of have this same similar problem in getting the grid to a stranded resource and figuring out how to get that resource out. Almost like how do you actually have a worldwide business in the 1990s? How do you communicate to people, get your data out from, from your location? It's a, it's this correlation you know, that I'm a, seeing. Yeah, you know, that's a very interesting way of looking at it, Joe. The I I <laughs> sometimes you're just sort of in it, you don't realize, you know, the the mm-hmm. interesting, you know, intersections of my background and the problems I'm solving. But you're right. I, I would not be able to uh 
deliver on this business had the world not been interconnected the way it is. And I lived through the process of in, con, interconnecting the world and what it un, unleashed on the world, right? It unleashed a tremendous amount of innovation. Uh, we now all have computers in our pockets that are constantly connected to data and information and uh, processing you know, our needs, if you will. Uh, and that same interconnection can form the backbone of a distributed computing network that catalyzes renewable energy. Pretty cool. Mm -hmm. You just enlightened me <laughs> yeah. on that there, Joe. That's great. Yeah. So on that topic of the, of the distributed computing, because that's mm -hmm. really... That is that problem that Saluna Computing is solving is, well, the, the, the idea that you have curtailed energy or wasted energy from all mm -hmm. of this, all this green energy, and now you are finding a way to utilize it. And I, I, I think this is a, a great idea, something that, that I see in geothermal very often that you have these locations that are just too remote. It just doesn't make sense to build transmission lines to just sell electricity. Right. Or in some cases, the, the resource is literally on an island and that island may have a very small population. So you literally mm -hmm. can't use all of that electricity. Exactly. And, and in a roundabout way, what you've done is you've been able to take that power and now you've converted that power into something that you can get out. You've, you've essentially commoditized a stranded resource. That's exactly the way to look at it, Joe. We, you know, we're, we're looking at all the pockets around the world um, where there is a push right now. You know, I like to say we're all sort of in the back of a, of a fast moving Tesla at this point, right? Where it's clear that we're leaning, leaning into the renewable energy transition on a global basis. Yep. So there's lots of capital coming in you know, they're chasing opportunities and there's going to be massive amounts of development of these resources, which is great. Mm -hmm. But now you've got to integrate them into a grid fabric that wasn't really designed to deal with um, that much intermittent power, right? It's, it's yep. designed from the ground up to be a synchronous construct where energy matches its consumption. It's fairly easy to get that power to the location because it's very localized. But now when you look at the system as a, um, a that has a different mixture, right, where you're replacing fossil with green, green energy and you're looking to integrate a lot of that into the grid, you now start to create these pockets of stranded energy. And what choices do you have? Well, people who don't, uh, know me so well, I tell them what I do and they're like, huh, that's interesting. So can't you just store the energy? And I say, well, yes, you can store it in batteries, but batteries are, uh, you know, they have their own sort of challenges. They're not, uh, infinitely scalable as computing is today. They, uh, are costly to build. The price of constructing them has not come down. And there's lots of interesting technology that's coming out that's that's going to address those, but it's not available at scale today. Well, can't you just move the energy? Like if the wind is blowing in Oklahoma, this is my brother, uh, why can't <laughs> you just move it to Atlanta? You know, and I'll say, huh. well, do you know how long it takes to build those transmission lines or you just sort of enjoy it? <laughs> it can take years, you know, and sometimes, yeah. you know, it can't get built because there's all sorts of local dynamics and you're, you're going interstate, et cetera. Computing, on the other hand, yeah. is a globally distributable um, capability. The demand is infinite these days. And there's a specific class of applications uh, we call them batchable applications. And these are the applications that um, you can you can basically put to sleep, right? The data center isn't available. You can pause it, freeze frame it, and then come back to it when the process is available. Things that fall into that category, surprisingly, are things like cryptocurrency mining. It's a big portion of what we do. Hmm. So cryptocurrency mining is a global... Um, phenomenon, fast growing, yep. energy intensive, 
that energy intensiveness is viewed as a as a as a uh, uh, terrible side effect by some, but in reality, it's actually a very powerful feature of the uh, platform because it it's focused on securing a, an asset that people hold their livelihoods in, and that mm-hmm. security framework has a computing element to it that's batchable. Uh, another example is movie transcoding. You know, when you watch those movies on Netflix and you see the you see the uh, words underneath, and um, or mm-hmm. you're watching Netflix and it shows you a uh, the m- next movie you should watch. Uh, those are all processes. You know, the first is transcoding, the second is uh, machine learning. So those types of applications are all batchable. So we thought to ourselves, what if you built a data center? that only runs those types of processes. It's a flexible fabric that integrates with the power plant and absorbs that excess energy. And that's what Saluna does. Very interesting. And that is, so I'm glad you brought up cryptocurrency. The mm-hmm. the Netflix example, I've, I've got these circles running around in my head and now I'm now I'm thinking so that's why when I come back after watching the same show 15 times <laughs> it doesn't automatically update but then when I re-log in then all of a sudden I've got all of that same type of show that it's suggesting to me exactly so there's a process that runs that's just for Joe <laughs> uh, there's one for John there's one for my wife there's probably one for my kids mm. you know and that's yeah. running somewhere. Today it runs on AWS, as I understand it, and the cost of that is becoming a big portion of Netflix platform, plus they compete, so mm. Netflix wants to move to its own computing fabric for, for running those processes. And what's interesting is that that process, you know, maybe it runs today, maybe it runs tomorrow, tomorrow but eventually you want that suggestion, you know, column, right, in, yeah. your, in your UI, to start showing yep. you s- some more things you should you should watch. So if I ran it yeah. on Tuesday and I paused it for for an hour, it wouldn't make a difference to you that much. But that process mm-hmm. runs for hundreds of millions of people, right? Because Netflix has <laughs> a pretty large yeah. subscriber base, and there's one of those running for each each individual subscriber. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So what I'm hearing you say is that if we're binge watching something and we want to watch more of that, we have to take a break in order to get the new <laughs> updates. <laughs> well, that's, a, that's we, a personal choice. <laughs> yeah. Some people so believe I, I binge wanna, watching should be the norm, you know? Why why wait? Yeah, you know how hard it is to wait a week to get the next episode, oh, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so I want to go back to crypto mining, and yeah. this is going to show my ignorance when it comes to computing and and how how crypto mining works and all that. I've always been under the impression that in order to make money doing the mining, you have to be running your computer 24-7 in order to make money. And when when we're talking about renewable energy, renewable energy itself is... is only on a certain amount of time, anywhere from 25 to 35% of the time. Mm-hmm. So, so I, can you help me understand how, how does that, how is crypto mining batchable? Fantastic question. So the first thing I have to help you and our listeners here understand is what exactly is crypto mining, okay? And mm-hmm. it's funny, I was sitting across a, a very large infrastructure um, fund you know, talking about our process and how we can help them. And he, he caught me by surprise. I don't know why, because it's not like everybody knows the answer, you know, the answer to these questions, but he asked, so, so what is, so what is the computing you're doing? I said, well, you know, initially it's mining and then it's going to be these other processes. What is mining? Um, well, it's these machines. I mean, no, I mean, what is it? <laughs> and then it hit me like, oh, I see. So I got up in the room and uh, he had a flip chart there. And I basically gave a one-on-one class on cryptocurrency mining. And wow. the easiest way to do that here on this call is to basically do a little bit of role-playing for a second, okay? So let's okay. say um, at the heart of the you know blockchain and Bitcoin concept, everybody understands, for the most part, that there's this distributed ledger, right? So I have a sheet of paper in front of me. 
you have a sheet of paper in front of you, Joe, and perhaps a set of the listeners out there have sheets of paper in front of them. We're all writing down transactions that are occurring among all of us. There's no one person that's the central uh, record keeper. We're all the record keeper. So I'm going to go through a series of transactions here. I, you know, I'm John. I'm sending one Bitcoin to Joe. Joe sends one Bitcoin to Phil or Sally out there listening. Uh, Sally sends uh, two Bitcoin to her grandmother, you know, for her birthday. And we're all keeping track of this. And we're all broadcasting those transactions and we're writing them down on the sheets of paper. When our sheets of paper get full, we, we have this folder, you know, to the right of us that we, we, we put those sheets of paper in and we put them in, in the order that we created them. Okay. Now we want to protect that, that stack of paper that's in that folder and the entire folder from tampering, right? We don't want to have somebody go in and say, no, 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 no. Sally didn't send, you know, two Bitcoin to her grandmother. She sent three Bitcoin to me, Bob over here, you know, and <laughs> change history. Yeah. We want to protect yeah. that. So how do you do that? So there's a couple of key elements to the, to the platform that do that. The first thing is you need some way to determine whether somebody tampered with each one of those pages. Okay. And the solution to that problem is actually leveraging a host of a number of different really hard computer science problems that I learned in, in university would never be solved. But somebody who wrote this whole platform kind of brought them all together in an elegant way. But one of them is cryptology. So I take the sheet of paper. Okay. So take one of those sheets of paper. We're going to do all of them, but take one of those sheets for a second. And okay. imagine for a minute, I have this thing called a magic machine. The purpose of that magic machine is to convert that entire sheet of paper into one number. And I believe that number has about 64 digits in it, let's say. Okay. Hmm. Now, you put, you put the piece of paper into the left side of the, of the machine. You push it through the machine. One number comes out the other side. Okay. Now, the interesting okay. thing about that number is if you look at the number, there is no way to tell what was on that sheet of paper. That's one property of the magic machine. Okay. It, it's a one-way mm. converter. Okay. The second property that it has is, let's say I go back to that sheet of paper and I just add like one change to the sheet. Like I say, you know, Sally sent three Bitcoin to her grandmother. Okay. And now I put that sheet of paper through the machine, a completely different number comes out the other side. You're thinking like, I just ch changed like one tiny thing about the page. It doesn't matter. <laughs> You can change the entire page. You can change one tiny bit. It will create a completely new number. You with me so far, Joe? Yes. Okay. Now, what I'm going to do, you go back to that folder, right? I am going to generate one of these numbers for every page. Okay? Imagine okay. I generated all the numbers for every page. Then, in order... I'm going to place the number that I generated at the top of each of the previous pages. So let's start with page one, right? I generate the number for page one, and then I put it at the top of page two. Then I generate the number for page, for page two, and I put it at the top of page three. You with me so far? Yes. And every time I generate the new number, I'm including the number from the previous page. So if you go back in history and change any one of those pages, okay? It'll, you can tell <laughs> that something oh, okay. was tampered with because the numbers don't match from the previous page. Yeah. You get it? Okay. So that's the beauty of this magic machine. Now, here's the third property. The computing power that you need to do what I just described is huge. If you wanted to sit down and do it, you know, <laughs> one, one, you know, by hand, one if you will, it would take, you know, all the stars in the universe time, you know? Yeah. So mm -hmm. massive amounts of computing power. So now I'm going to give you the next key element is getting the community to protect the network using the magic machine. So what I do is I say, okay, everybody, we're going to generate the number. We're going to stamp the machines. Now what we want to do is we want to add a new page to the, to the, uh, to the folder and we want to seal that page. We're going to add a new step, okay? We're going to add a new step to the page, to the, to the process. We're going to put the number from the previous page, and we're going to put a special number, 
okay, that if you add it to that page and then you put it through the magic machine, it generates a number with a very specific look to it. Hmm. Okay, so now I put the page through with, and I wrote a new number on the page and then I put it through the magic machine and it creates a number on the other side that's the same length as before, but the first three digits of the number are zeros, okay? So okay. now I'm gonna ask you, Joe, you, you know how the magic machine works, right? So how yes. do you find that number? The number that you're supposed to write on the page where you put the page through the thing and the other side looks a very specific way and I'm gonna give you the, the, the request. It has to have three zeros in the front of it. How would you do that? I'm going to I'm going to write 3 zeros and then I'm going to guess at the rest. <laughs> <laughs> so, there's no way to guess the number, right? Without see without putting the page through the through the through the magic machine. Mm -hmm. So, you're right though. Uh it is a guessing game. So, you have to write the 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 magic number from the previous page and then you have to put the number 0 and put it through the machine. Did it? Is the number on the other side three zeros? No. Okay, I'm going to write two. Huh. Put it through the magic machine. Is the number on the other side two zeros? No. You will search from zero to infinity until you find the magic number that will create the number that looks the, the right way on the other side. That number is within the blockchain protocol called the nonce, the number you use once. Everybody's going to try to find that number. The first person in our group here, Sally, me, Joe, that finds it, we're going to raise our hands. I found it. Okay. And, and let's say it's oh, you. Okay. You're going to say, Joe, great. Let me see if your number is right. So I take your number and I put it through the machine because that's the only way I can tell. Right. Uh, and I say, yep, Joe is right. This is the number. There's three zeros in the beginning of that big 64 digit number. And if that's the, and, and, and everybody else agrees. In fact, if 51% of our group agrees, then we will all stamp that number on the page and that will seal the blockchain with that number in the entire folder. You with me? Yes. That guessing that I had to do to find that number, yep. that's mining. Now, okay. how do I incent you to actually do that work? How do I incent you to do that work of guessing? And because I got, I got, I got to push the the pages through the magic machine. That's computing power. That's 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 energy that I have to consume. Yep. Okay. So yep. the way I do that is when you raised your hand and said, "I found the number." Okay. The network actually generates um, mints Bitcoin out of thin air, and it rewards you for finding that number. By the way, that's how Bitcoin gets generated. And, and you know, there's, there's been all that discussion around this 21 yeah. million that will ever be produced, right? So every time a new block is added, the process I just took you through is, is done. A nonce is found. And hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of computers out there <laughs> are trying to find mm -hmm. this number. Now, the probability that you find that, that number when you're doing the search is the same if I pause, like Joe, you were looking for it, and John, I was looking for it, and I stopped and I yeah. said, I, I gotta go get some lunch, I'm too tired. <laughs> I come back and I start again. The probability okay. that I find the number is the same as you still. That's why Bitcoin mining is pausable because the, it's, a, it's a probabilistic or stochastic approach to the computing process that's taking place. It's a very okay. intense amount of computing. It uses a tremendous amount of energy, which is why it's hard to tamper with the blockchain because you would have to, you would have to expend more energy than anyone else to rewrite the blockchain, right? Because if you yeah. tamper with one of those pages, the entire folder is broken. So that form mm -hmm. of computing as a result can be done anywhere in the world. It tries to find as low cost power as possible because power is such a big portion of what's powering the computing. And yep. it's batchable, which brings me back to your central question. It's batchable because of this, you know, uh, probabilistic approach to the computing in that I can pause my facility, bring it back up and do that. Now, yeah. now there's so much competition that I can't be up 10% of the time. Like I have to be up at least 85% of the time in terms of, you know, call it the, you know, the, the, the uptime of the facility. That 
to, you know, be competitive. But that 85% is a perfect, you know, uh, structure to solve this wasted energy problem. And that's how we approach our facilities. Was that helpful? Uh, Yes. Yeah. So that I've never never heard pure audio. I always never done crypto mining walk through like that. So that is very helpful. And, uh, and it does make sense that it is, it is, it's basically a guessing game. So it doesn't, right. it doesn't really, doesn't as long as you you're guessing, guessing. Yeah. And as long as you're guessing enough, correct, then you have the same odds as everybody else of getting it right. Exactly. Now imagine you're a company like Soluna that has a network of these data centers all around the world. So I'm guessing anywhere in the world at any time. So <laughs> you, know, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, and so yeah. Having, I'm doing enough guessing such that I'm making enough to cover all of my costs on a global basis. And mm-hmm. as I as I blend in other types of computing that are not just about guessing, that are um, you know contracted processes like the Netflix example, or yeah. you know searching for a molecule that can that can um, cure. Uh, cancer or a molecule to you know solve a virus issue like COVID nineteen, those are all yeah. batchable processes. And so I have a, if I have a diversity of those across all of my facilities, it's a very powerful business model um, for yeah. going after this wasted energy. And my raw material, my corpus, is energy that would otherwise go to waste. So it's very low cost. I inject that into the business model. You know, I scale it to very large footprint and effectively result in a very large zero carbon cloud that I can sell to global enterprises and say, you know, I can do this at a, a fraction of the cost of Amazon because I'm connecting it to these uh, facilities. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I, I'm curious, can you share what is that, what's that percentage of crypto mining versus kind of everything else in that computing ratio uh on a on a global basis the 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 non-crypto is way larger as a as a total addressable market if you will we think the entire market combined including crypto is about 100 billion dollars today in our business it's primarily crypto today and we do that on purpose and I'll explain why the reason is because crypto, um, because of its of the economics of the system, the value of the digital asset we're producing, our scale, we can actually um, uh, develop a facility and return that capital in a very short period of time. And we don't have to have any salesmen running around trying to sell to you know J.P. Morgan or some big enterprise. Yeah. And and so we, it allows us to build a very large footprint of these facilities. Okay. And then within three years of the life of a facility, we can then start merging in these other processes because our facilities are built to be very flexible. Um, Actually, I should talk about that. So when we, when we say data center, by the way, we're not talking about a big monolithic building. We're talking about a series of smaller buildings purpose built for this. Uh, our facilities use 1.2 megawatts per building. So we can uh, put the buildings together like Lego blocks to create very large facilities. They oh, okay. ramp up and ramp down very fast. Um, I'm talking about, um, you know, megawatt in, in, in less than a minute kind of thing. Um, mm. And we can... Uh, use a whole series of proprietary methods, high high speed movement of air, for example, such that we don't have to have these super sophisticated facilities that have raised floors and, you know, lots of cooling and energy being sp- spent on cooling. We can put all of that energy into computing. So hi- highly efficient conversion between the mm-hmm. source electrons to the computing fabric, if you will. Um, yeah. and then this whole software layer that allows us to pause processes, et cetera. So all of these things combined is creates a purpose built facility that then allows us to put in general purpose equipment to do other types of computing over time. So that's part of the design. So we like to call this phase one, phase two of our business. Phase one is, you know, all, um, cryptocurrency mining. It's a big market, very large enterprise, lots of capital coming in. 
we can address the concerns very, very rapidly today. And then as we grow, uh, there's more diversity in the computing in our facilities, and we're doing it um, all around the world. Yeah, and I, I really like that that point that it is something that you can phase in, phase out, and and change what you're computing. Because exactly. as you pointed out earlier, there's that there's the the fact that we are just continually growing in the amount of data we produce and the amount of computing power we need. So it's it's almost the it, I think you said that we have an the the growth potential is infinite because we mm-hmm. just have an infinite amount of of computing that exactly. is needed. So the ability to decarbonize that that computing power is is astronomically large. That's right. So right now we're we're I guess I've been talking in these in these qualitative terms of infinite and astronomical. What is I, I'm sure you've done this calculation. What is the the real potential here in terms of market decarbonization? How much energy does computing use? And what kind of metrics do you know how much CO2 are you avoiding through this computing model? Good question. So um, the way we think about it is how many more green electrons can we enable to be added to the grid? Mm. So by reducing grid congestion and uh, creating more grid flexibility and demand response mechanisms, then each of the, let's say in the US, you know, New York has a has a big RPS percentage they're trying to hit. California has a big RPS they're trying to hit. Uh, other mm-hmm. ISOs do. And, you know, I was told recently by a, a veteran utility leader, he says that, you know, those RPS numbers, they are aspirational at best. You would need to add <laughs> Um, and this isn't coming from him, but I've read reports where, uh, like the uh, IEA has written about, you'd have to add hundreds of gigawatts of mm-hmm. demand response capability to hit those RPS levels, and getting yep. people to turn on and off their washer and dryer or <laughs> um, yep. is not going to be sufficient scale to achieve that. But data centers, data centers have the potential to do this. And so um, so we think the RPS percentage uh, increases significantly. And uh, on our uh, company page and blog, um, we have an episode of our own podcast where we actually spend time with the professor, Andrew Chen, who's actually studied this and calculated uh, what the increase in RPS percentage would be by spending time with the ISOs, taking their data and analyzing it and basically simulating these types of flexible facilities into the network and showing how uh, much that would would increase. So So I don't have a decarbonization number for you, but I do have a, you know, qualitative view that the, uh, renewable energy penetration would increase significantly because the grid would have a, scalable solution to the congestion problem. Yep. Yep. And just to make sure we, everybody's on the same page, RPS stands for Renewable Portfolio uh, Standards? Renewable Penetration Standard, yeah. Uh, okay. Sorry about that. Okay. <laughs> See, I'm not an no energy worries. guy. Now I, 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 I sound like I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But that is, it's important to think about because that is, the the amount of renewable power that we are producing and mm-hmm. and really what you're pointing out is that we can install as much power as we want in mm-hmm. in Texas i think we have we have 15,000 megawatts of mm-hmm. of wind power but the real question is how much of that is actually being utilized how exactly. much of that is is penetrating into the grid and right. decarbonizing the grid that's right there but was a there's a way that that one of my colleagues puts it, and he says it's not it's not the question of how to what what does he say? He says it's it's not about the the cost of the electricity. It's right. about the cost of removing the next one gigaton of 
carbon off of the grid or exactly. removing that next gigaton from the atmosphere. That's and right. I think that this is this is exactly talking about that mm-hmm. because we can it's it's saying instead of instead of worrying about how much additional electricity we are we are producing, it is how do we actually utilize the electricity better? That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, we we um we're focused exactly on that is changing the grid mixture. And when I say grid, I'm talking about the global grid, right? Changing the grid mm-hmm. mixture to be more green. How do you do that? And today, everybody is sort of stuck on um, what I almost like to say is legacy solutions, right? There's, well, you, you, mm-hmm. you, need a, you need a battery or some form of it or transmission. That's it. That's the, that's, that's the limit of the innovation, right? And so yep. we're saying, well, what if there were other options, you know, options that are available today that you could use, we should start using them. I'm not saying that computing is the only solution, but it's a new um, quiver, if you will, right? Um, yeah. That can be used to uh, attack the problem. Yep. Yeah. So I've got, I've got two questions that, that just imagine it is an elevator pitch, so to speak. So, uh-huh. As as you're pointing out, you're constantly being asked about storage. So mm-hmm. give me the elevator pitch. As an energy producer or a or a utility or somebody producing electricity, why should I consider a data center next to my power plant as opposed to a big battery tank? So um the the you know, if I'm riding the elevator with someone and they ask me that and I says, well, you know, the battery is definitely a, a great option. The only problem you've got to think about is the battery is a business too. It's not just a technology. Um, so battery businesses have to absorb energy when the prices are low. Um, so they store the power and then they have to export the energy when the prices are higher. <laughs> it's an arbitrage business. Mm-hmm. And so at some point, the battery actually becomes part of the problem. And as you start to build really scaled solutions like that, that could potentially worsen the issue if the battery is behind the same point of interconnect where the congestion is, right? And so the grid sees the battery as a generator sometimes, not just a battery. And so the advantage with computing is we instantly convert the electron to its downstream purpose, if you will. And so... It's, con- it's contributing to reducing the congestion because now the grid sees essentially a smaller combined resource, right? Uh, allowing it to put more of those resources. And when it needs more of that power, that data center can shrink in terms of size. So more of those green electrons can go to the grid. That's the difference between us and a battery in that you're still getting the effect of more energy coming to the grid, but it comes to the grid at the right time when it needs it, right? Whereas the battery has to export it when it needs to generate its profits, if you will. Uh, whereas we're essentially playing a flexible demand response solution for the grid. We can actually be signaled by the grid to change the size and footprint of our power plant such that the right amount of power is absorbed from that power plant onto the grid. And if all power plants have that capability, which is what uh, Dr. Chen found in his analysis, is that if you just build huge data centers like the Amazons of the world and Facebooks of the world and put uh, uh, wind farms attached to those, that actually doesn't, it actually makes the problem worse. (laughs) You get lower RPS. Whereas if you put strategically placed resources like ours around the grid, you actually get a much better uh, improvement in the amount of renewables you can you can absorb into the grid, and um, batteries, unfortunately, you don't get that. And so that's what I would say. I'm not sure if that took more mm-hmm. <laughs> more than two minutes or not. But yeah, I get passionate about. Yeah, it. it's a very a very tall elevator. Yeah, very tall building we're riding <laughs> exactly. in. <laughs> so, uh, but but that's uh, that would that would be my pitch. Yep. No, I, I think that makes a lot of sense and it, it definitely is clear and and I would I would say there there's obviously room for both, depending on 
on when and where you're looking at, but it, it, what you're saying is, is so clear. And, and I think is, is a, is a great pitch and a great reason to think about having, having the, the computing power and the data centers in a, I guess, in a more pervasive component to the grid. Yeah, absolutely, Joe. I, I, I agree that um, the solution that we're developing and, you know, we're a young company, we're growing is a new solution and it's going to, it's going to coexist with the existing solutions. And what we're saying is by having more than just those two options that have challenges, you increase the options that you have available to you, which makes it a lot easier for the grid operators to think about planning and creating the grid of the future. And uh, our solution, which is a data center, right, is not something you normally think of as grid infrastructure. And what Mm -hmm. we're trying to do as a company is to reframe that and say, why not think of computing as grid infrastructure? That actually is what ultimately we'd like to see. In fact, I'd go as far as to say that renewable energy plants should be built from the ground up with this capability embedded in it. Hmm. So as a combined solution, bringing us all the way back four years ago, how we started out this company. <laughs> yep. Hey, John, I got this idea. You know, it's it's renewable energy, you know, intersecting with blockchain, you know, rephrase that to renewables intersecting with batchable computing in a vertically integrated way. Yep. Now I can go to sites that I normally might not be able to build and I combine it with computing and suddenly it, it, it opens up all new opportunities. Or I go yep. to places... Uh, on the African continent in some of these countries that are uh, energy starved and it's very hard to bring outside capital into those countries uh, by bringing in your own embedded revenue generation capability, then you can actually bring a a, a power plant in part of the power is going to the grid. And as that economy grows, right, you need energy to grow an economy. Uh, Mm -hmm. Suddenly more of that power can go to the economy and suddenly you've, you've created this catalyzer for more green power where it would otherwise never get built. So that's that's yeah. what gets me out of bed, you know, that if we can do this in a small way and catalyze a whole movement around rethinking infrastructure, that would be a fantastic um, outcome and a great use of our, our time and energy uh, in this venture. Yeah, and I think that's a, that's a very forward-looking kind of idea of it, as, as you were talking, the first thing that popped into my mind was El Salvador. They are mm-hmm. currently switching over to Bitcoin as I think their their national currency, mm-hmm. and one of the major pushes is utilizing that to uh, to fund geothermal development. Right, geothermal development then being you're mining Bitcoin using green energy, using that to basically build out a a cryptocurrency based economy ecosystem mm-hmm. grid that exactly. sounds very similar to to the developments that you're talking about and right. envisioning for for places like Africa. Exactly. And yeah, I mean it's uh other places. It's great what they're doing down in El Salvador and um it'll be exciting to see, you know, how how it progresses over the next few years, but it's it's a it's mm-hmm. a it's a fantastic pilot for uh, re-looking at uh, this technology, its relationship with infrastructure, and you know its ultimate its ultimate place in society's view of it. Right today, you know, if you grab the average person, you might you you, you get sort of two sides of a coin. Right, some people think it's it's yeah. the most, most amazing thing that's ever been created, and other people say that's that it's uh, you know snake oil or something like that. <laughs> uh, and so, but what's interesting is fundamentally speaking, the reason people have a concern about the energy use and uh, different aspects of the technology is that it doesn't yet have this positive place in people's psyche. But if, Mm -hmm. you know, the next several years, um, it is viewed and seen and successfully uh, expands the footprint of renewables, suddenly, you know, it's a very powerful infrastructure element that yep. people never thought of. 
And uh, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Uh, bringing us back to the beginning of our conversation here, that's exactly what happened to the internet infrastructure I was building back at Intel in the huh. in ninety four ninety five. You know, we weren't sure what this thing was going to do. It was originally designed to uh, allow us to um, be resilient during a, a nuclear attack. It was a military technology, mm. but we were trying to take it into the consumer world. Right? What would happen if you you interconnected the world? Uh, wow. We didn't expect that it would basically be the backbone for just about everything that we do. Like we we make phone yeah. calls and it's <laughs> over the internet. We we get information, all that kind of stuff. And so, what if yeah. what if this form of computing was a you know new form of digital asset store value, but it was also a powerful part of the global infrastructure? Not only would that change the the view, but it would actually make it more safe as an asset <laughs> because huh. it's it's so integrated into the global infrastructure footprint, right? Yeah. Uh, and it's exactly the same uh, arc, if you will, that the yeah. internet protocols went through. Yep. Yep. Well, for the sake of cryptocurrency and for the grid and for renewable energy as well, I hope that it continues that arc and and kind of fulfills fulfills as part of web 3.0 the the same story that we have seen with with networking and and the internet of today with with that idea i've got a few well actually not with that idea switching gears i've okay. got a few final questions they're a little bit different a little bit more fun a little bit right. off topic the first one what's the most important book you've ever read Ooh, most important book. Um, or the most recent book or yeah, I mean, whatever book so you want to share. Uh, Joe, I I wouldn't label one as important over the other, but they, they have different places. For example, uh, and by the way, I publish a list like every year. So if you follow me on LinkedIn, you'll see ah. my recent list. Um, so my 20, the, the top of my 2021 list was uh, Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey. Um, so I, I, I just... Uh, uh, turned 50 this year, Joe. And, uh, you know, you turn 50, you start to do reflection and so forth. And just sort of thinking about like how, you know, um, I, I, I write this uh, small journal every day. Uh, it's three things I write down. Rose. So Rose is something I'm thankful for, something positive that happened. Um, a thorn, something hard something challenging that I've been through mm. and a bud. Bud is something I'm looking forward to and something that I think will be, uh, you know, exciting on that given day. I try to do that uh, as much as possible every morning before I start my day. And I thought to myself, I've been doing this for about two years now. Um, something tra tragic happened during the 2020 pandemic. It kind of got me, you know, to become introspective mm. and start doing this. And I thought to myself, like, what if, what if I had been doing this? Like, and, and I look at, like, at the end of the year, I look back, right, and sort of see personal insights from that. And I thought to myself, what if I, what if I had been doing this for like my entire life or the last decade? What would I see in that, <laughs> that journal? Huh. Well, McConaughey yeah. did that for 30 plus years. He didn't have an Evernote wow. like me. He was actually carrying little books around and he was writing everything that was happening to him during that time. And when he looked back at it, what he realized is that, you know, there were two types of signals, red lights and green lights that he found in those journals, right? There was, you know, red lights are sort of those things that are, you know, blocking you, right? Um, and mm -hmm. uh, many times when you encounter those red lights, right, on your journey through life, you sort of see them as, you know, detriments to where you're going. But sometimes yep. they're just pauses, right? that give you learning opportunities that unlock green lights for you down the road, which gets you closer oh. to where you're going. And uh, uh, I think he did an amazing job of demonstrating that insight that he found through his own life. Um, so it's kind of a bit of a, of a memoir. Fantastic read. I, I definitely suggest getting the audio book because he, he reads it. <laughs> and <laughs> it's just really fascinating and it caused me to look at my life in that way, like ask myself, what are my red lights? Huh. What, are, what would have been my green lights? 
And uh, yeah, so I encourage everybody to to grab that one. Um, uh, there's another one from last year called On Intelligence uh, by Jeff Hawkins, the the creator of the original sort of pre-smartphone device, um, the Spring. And uh, he has studied all it. He's had a passion to study how intelligence actually works. Like AI is actually not based on how our brain works. It's it. Most computer scientists think it is, but it's not. And uh, he used all the money he made from all the successful ventures he had to go back and do something um, that he wanted to do when he was an engineer at Intel. And he went to the chairman of Intel uh, and explained to him, hey, I want to study intelligence. He's like, well, that, that's not something we could do here. Then he went to MIT and said, I want to study intelligence. I'm like, well, we don't do that. <laughs> wow. And he eventually basically said, I'm going to create my own center. And to be honest with you, that book is, for lack of a better word, mind-blowing. Because it huh. gives you the first time I finally understand how the brain works. It all is centered oh, okay. around the cortex. And it's just you know a few billion cells that pretty much define everything about what you do. It's pretty fascinating. And how it does it as a computer scientist is fascinating. And uh, wow. how do I tell you this without uh, ruining the book? The, the, the one word I would say is that your mind is a prediction machine. That's basically what it is. Huh. And wow. once you get that insight, it, it, it'll blow your mind. Everything I do now, like I'm like, oh, that was that prediction thing. Huh, that's cool. <laughs> So uh, huh. those are two from the list. Um, happy to send them your way, Joe. Uh, it's on my blog also. Um, but it's, it's um, I love reading. And so lots and lots of books have had, you know, interesting effects on me. And um, I, I try to read very broadly outside of my field oh, okay. um, to learn. Yep. Yeah, those two sound like great recommendations. And I will definitely add the add the blog post in the show notes along with sure. these two books. So the next question, when will we be net zero as a society? Ah, great one. Um, I am an, I am an eternal optimist and I believe, uh, we'll get there in a decade. Wow. That is that is definitely more optimistic than anybody who's been on the show. <laughs> I, I, I feel but, like I've had a lot of optimists. Yeah. Well, why? I think, I, I, that, that's further to what I was saying. I think we're all in the back of a Tesla already. Everything, everyone is, I think the pandemic has connected us around this particular issue as something we've all got to rally towards. Um, there are so many people like me who have nothing to do with energy or climate that are running toward the energy or climate space. People who were like an AI or, you know, software, you know, industries in the past, just developing companies or joining companies to help solve this problem. So my optimism comes from the fact that there's just massive amounts of brain power coming at this thing, you know, not including myself. <laughs> um, and we're going to crack the code on it, you know? We're going to crack the code on it, I think. Yeah, that's a really a really optimistic perspective, but I think it it also talks to the point of human ingenuity and momentum and mm -hmm. the I, I do like that analogy of of all of us being in a Tesla speeding towards renewable energy and energy transition mm -hmm. because it 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 is one of those things that as you are as you're going, you don't necessarily know how fast it's going to take to get there. You've got your roadmap, but ultimately it you may find a better way. And that's kind of what you're speaking to. And it That's right. I like you need it. People with fresh perspectives to come in, right? If if it oh yeah. It's just limited to folks who are just know their domain. It's harder yep. to, to have lateral thinking play a role. Um oh yeah, yep. that's actually my other book, which is uh Edward de Bono's lateral thinking, just bringing in ideas from outside of the field, fresh perspectives where you can ask the first principle questions like, why does it, why is it, why is batteries the only way <laughs> to address, yep. you know, wasted energy? Maybe there's other ways. And if we do that mm -hmm. consistently across the board, 
we'll be able to crack the code and get to where we're going much faster. Um, that's my hope. Yep. I like it. So the last question is, do you have any question for me? Oh, well, I asked, I asked a few of them, uh, you know, pre-show, I guess my question for you is you've done a number of these interviews. You've talked to a host of different people. I mean, I, I, I listened to a few of the seasons before we got on. I always try to do that. And you've spoken to so many interesting people. What is the one or two insights that you've gathered that sort of, you know, surprises you um, after your time doing this? That is a good question. I think that the there's two major themes that I think I have noticed. Mm-hmm. There is energy efficiency, which mm-hmm. obviously is is very important. When we talk about energy efficiency, the the there's hardware improvements, there's there's optimization improvements, there's just basic process design improvements that are taking place. Mm-hmm. What fascinates me is that in the energy efficiency space, I and I would have to go back and look, but my my gut is telling me that there are larger gains in terms of efficiency gains and decarbonization in efficiency right now. Mm. Whereas when we look at renewable energy, there are these these very big ideas that are out there mm-hmm. and and discussions of five times or ten times or or even a hundred times the power potential for any given type of technology. Mm-hmm. But really the the improvements are are incremental and they are right. a kind of a slow buildup. And I, I think that kind of goes to your point that where we are right now is especially if we're going to hit uh, net zero in ten years, mm-hmm. there is a a very steep curve that we're about to get on that's going to take us exponential towards towards these ten, twenty, one hundred times improvements right. in renewable energy, and I think that that is it is a I guess that's the the insight, the observation. I don't know what to. I don't know what conclusion I draw from that. Mm. I think both of these are very important. There's there's still a lot of questions on how we go from net zero to say a true zero where right. we we basically don't use hydrocarbons at all anymore. Right. And I I think that that is to to be blunt, I I think there will during my lifetime there will always be some level of hydrocarbons. I think that there's a lot of issues still with with things like plant-based plastics. We need to get further down the chain into the the waste stream in order to produce those plastics so that way we're not competing with food. As yeah. as one example of one of those larger questions that are going to get us to true zero. I think those are still 20, 30, 40 years down the line of right. research. before they're even technology ready right and and so i i think that there's a place for both those efficiency improvements and that exponential growth of of the renewables and Mm -hmm. and renewable technologies and Mm -hmm. and solutions like like saluna computing and solutions like hydrogen but i think that they're i guess that's it's more of an observation and mm-hmm. and that's why i guess i have everybody on here because they're everybody's voice matters and and having hearing about all of these improvements and all these opportunities to decarbonize whether you're whether you're somebody who owns five wells producing 100 barrels a day of oil in the middle of the texas panhandle that's it's important for you to know that there's opportunities for you to increase your efficiencies and for you to decarbonize your oil production. Right. And it's the same for large companies like Amazon. 
who they have huge data centers. They have the they have lots of lots of cars, lots of driving, lots of deliveries they're making. Right. And it's just as important for them to know how they can start decarbonizing. Indeed. And going down that process. Indeed, yeah. It's uh I don't know if that really answers your question. <laughs> no, it was helpful. I mean, it's uh you know, you, talking to lots and lots of people, you start to eventually see a theme, right, of sort of mm-hmm. almost a like a sentiment analysis of the world, right? How people yep. are thinking about certain problems. Um, yep. And that could, you know, that could summarize into a net, you know, pessimism or a net optimism. And it sounds like there's there's more optimism than than you expected. Yes. Yeah, I would say so. I think it, I think everybody is optimistic. And I think that even even the people who who say that we'll never reach net zero they are they're still on the show talking about these great efficiency improvements right. in their in their space and right. it's not it's not because of i guess it it's because of the the value they see in it and that's the important part exactly that's great yeah. Well, well very that. good question. Yeah. Thank you for asking. And thank you for being on the show. Before we sign off, is there anything else that you would like to say? Uh, no, I, I I think the only thing I would add is if you are a owner of a power plant or power partner, uh, please visit uh, salunacomputing.com. And on there, you'll see a little button to schedule a call to talk to us about uh, our solution. We'd love to hear from you. Um, if you're building, if you're a developer uh, looking to develop new new sites uh, all around the U.S. and beyond, uh, we'd like to hear from you, and uh, we'd like to introduce you to to what we can do. Well, John, thank you for that, and thank you for everyone joining us on this episode of the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast. Please do me a favor, give me a five star rating, and leave a review. Doing these two simple actions will help these stories reach a wider audience. If you want to hear more great stories and keep up to date with the energy industry, connect with OGGN on LinkedIn or visit us at OGGN.com. It is a new year. I encourage you to go try something new. For me, well, I guess for you, I would encourage you to go try out the Canon co-working space down in Houston. If you mention OGGN, they'll give you a free day pass. I say it's for you because I go there every time I'm in Houston. That's where I work whenever I'm in town. It's also where we host our monthly OGGN industry mixers. If you have any questions, comments, corrections, or you have a story that you would like to share, send me an email or find me on LinkedIn. And until next time, remember to keep it low carbon and high energy. Join us again next week for another low carbon, high energy story on the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.